You like Fireboy? I do. You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes episode number one with your host, Jeff Beck. Hey, this is Jeff Beck. Thanks for tuning in to Your Tables on Fire. With me today, we have two very special guests, the creators and owners of Lunar Powered Games. I have Daniel and Emma Bauman. Daniel and Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on. First question to kick things off, have you guys ever been on a podcast before? No, (laughs) this is our first one. Yep. That's perfect because this is the first time I've ever hosted a podcast. Oh, congratulations. It's going to be the blind leading the blind a little bit. Nice. (laughs) Good learning experience. (laughs) Exactly. Why don't you two uh, take a minute and introduce yourselves? I'm Daniel. I am the game designer for Lunar Powered Games. Been making games for a very long time, just for me and my friends. And we recently decided that we should give it a shot doing it for real. So we polished up a first game. We've got it up on Kickstarter right now, and we're we're getting really good feedback. It's very exciting. And I'm Emma. I'm the artist of Lunar Power Games. I've been an artist basically since I've been alive, of course, but it's been a hobby um, for many years. And it's only been the past four or five years that I decided that I wanted to actually turn art into my career. So it went very well together that my husband designed games and I conveniently make art. So we're like, this is a perfect pair. (laughs) And when did you two get into games? I mean, I've been playing like PC games since I was one or two. I think I have a picture of me at two playing computer games. But I never got into board games for a long time because like none of my friends or family were into that. So the only thing I knew about was like Monopoly Risk and all those other terrible, terrible things. Right. Uh, it wasn't until college that I was finally exposed to real board games. And after that, I oh, never looked back. I'm at like 130 yeah. right now in my closet. Yep. Growing. Wow. Um. As for me, I also just started playing like PC and um, video games. And I actually didn't start playing tabletop games until Dan got into it because I kind of had the same experience in that it was all like those kind of boring games like Don't Break the Ice. (laughs) So I didn't know what actual fun tabletop games were until he started buying them. It was like, hey, why don't you learn how to play this with me? What is it about tabletop gaming as opposed to, say, video gaming that drew you guys in? Oh, absolutely. The fact that I'm sitting with people at a table playing it. Like, I mean, I've played plenty of MMOs and stuff, and you build a lot of friendships like that over time, but it's still not, it's not as special as really sitting around with your friends, family, playing games, especially a lot of the more social games, like like Werewolf or even Diplomacy. It's really fun to look someone that you know very well in the face and tell them, oh yeah, yeah, I will 100% support you, and then backstab <laughs> them horribly the next turn. It's great. It's it's the social element that's really drawn me to it. It's much more engaging and just fun. I also think that because it's a tabletop game, you don't have a computer that can do all of these background rules and, and super complex things. So the, the rule sets are much more elegant and I think more refined than stuff you'll find in the, the digital space, typically. So out of your massive closet of 130 games, what are you guys playing recently? Uh, Concordia. Lots of Concordia lately. We played Oasis, too. Yeah, yeah, we played o- Oasis re- recently, but for the most part, it's been a lot of Concordia. 
Speaking of Concordia or other games, in your opinion, what makes a really good tabletop game? For me, the most important thing is that element of interaction. I just played something recently. It's like Orleans or Orleans or like, and it's a lot of people like it. It's relatively highly rated, and I thought it was one of the worst games I've ever played because I was playing solitaire, and there just happened to be other people at the table also playing solitaire, and that was very frustrating for me because like I. I want to sit down with my friends to interact with them, not so we're all just solving a little puzzle individually. Um, So yeah, definitely that interactability is really, really important for me. I find that it's kind of more of a technical thing, but I really like when a game has rules that are easy to remember. There are a couple games that we've played where it's like, there's not so much that, you know, the rules are difficult. It's just that there's many of them that you have to keep in mind each turn. And then there's also a lot of things that you have to keep track of and do well, like for your turn to attempt to win the game. So it's just, it just becomes too much to like go through all those rules and remember them and then have all these different things that you have to keep track of, like resources and whatever. So when things are really like when the when the turn is very like streamlined and simple, I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of my things that I'm like, this must be. <laughs> yeah, she does not play Twilight Imperium with me. <laughs> no, I, I th- that's a bit too intense for me. Maybe someday I'll get there, but for right now, not so much. So tell me about, you know, when did you start designing your own games? How did that switch happen? Um, well, I've been making like small games for me and my friends to play since oh, like elementary school. And then when I got into college and got exposed to real games and started to see like mechanics, I started copying those. I uh, got into D&D very seriously, been DMing for over 10 years now. And that was really the, the trigger, I think, or the initial exposure to those things. And the fact that, you know, I was playing uh, 3.5 at the time, and it's very open and really encourages you to make your own stuff for it and make your own classes. And it, it, it's pretty simple to do. And that really just got the ball rolling. I started making smaller board games for me and my friends to play. Everyone loved them. We stopped studying pretty quickly <laughs> to go off and play silly card games that I made. So, and any uh, any desire to make a role-playing game? Uh, yes, I, I actually have been working <laughs> on a role-playing game for uh, two years now in my spare time, trying to embody that, that core belief that we have that uh, things should be very easy to, to pick up and play, where the, the goal of it was I can explain the entire role system in five minutes and you're ready to go and make a character i've got it down to about 10 so it's it's not quite there yet tell us a little bit about your design process when you sit down and say i'm going to design a game how does that play out um well the first thing we do is we get a general theme of the game we sit down together and we'll come up with just like one line theme pitches like for ancient sands it was you know archaeologists go into a desert to recover treasure we have a stack of these and we'll put each one on a piece of paper we'll spread them out and then we'll get post-it notes and just write anything we can think of that has to do with those themes like a mechanic uh, a character idea uh, some extension on the theme any sort of possibility and we're just silent not talking to each other just writing things down in post-it notes and slapping it onto the pages and we do that for about 20 30 minutes until we're out of things to put on there and we just step back and look at which idea clearly has the or ideas clearly has the most notes on it what are we clearly more interested in and then from that we'll have a a discussion about what we think will work there and which one will make the most sense to other people like what what has the most appeal and then from that i will take that idea and sit down with a piece of paper and try and figure out how this is going to work and where do you take it from there 
It depends on what the game is, but typically I'll start with the, like, what is the core turn going to be? Like, what are, what is the gameplay, like, the, the core gameplay going to be? Like, for this, it's, you have tiles and you're flipping them up trying to find good treasure. For another game we're, we're working on, it's gathering ingredients and putting them into a pot. Um, and it, like, trying to, to focus on that very simple core thing, not worrying about balance or any sort of points or any turn structure completely yet, but how do we get that very simple core loop fun? Like, what's, what's engaging about it? And once that's, I think, good, I'll throw some numbers on things, again, not caring about balance, and sit it in front of people and see what, what their initial feedback is on, you know, is this fun? Is this engaging? Do, do we have a good idea here, or do I need to go in a different direction? Do you have a regular playtesting group that you work yes, with? Yes, I have one that I work with nearly every week, and we're setting up two more hopefully very soon so we can start firing these things out a little faster. It's a great resource. Yeah, it's it's very helpful. But that idea of very quick iterations, it's something that's been drilled into me for, for many years because I used to, prior to doing this, I, I was a software engineer. So get the simple thing done, make sure it works, and then move on to the next one. Well, let's talk a little bit about Ancient Sands. For those that aren't familiar with the game, can you give us the quick pitch of what it is, what it's about? Sure. So in Ancient Sands, you all play archaeologists in the loosest sense of the word. You're basically Tomb Raiders going out into a very hostile desert that's been suspected of being void of life forever. And people recently found things there. So you're all racing out there to recover as much treasure as possible. You'll recruit workers from a large collection of not entirely reputable people because not many people are going to want to go out into this horrible desert. And you, they'll be able to give you information about what's there, like peek at cards and, and shuffle them around, mess with your opponents a little. Uh, and every turn, the desert fights back slightly with event cards. Uh, weather can be horrible or other strange things can happen. And essentially, it's a quick point-scoring game. Um, you're trying to start your turn with 10 points, and that ends the game. And whoever has the most points wins. How long have you been working on Ancient Sands? Oh, we've been working on it for a little over six months at this point. Yeah, I think like very seriously, we started working six months, like a month or two prior. We were kind of like, well, we think we want to make this game. Let's like try some things. But yeah, about six months. How has it evolved in that six months? <sighs> Completely. Um, the initial game was nothing like this. It was originally like a tile laying game, like Carcassonne or even Scrabble, and having the tiles you lay like generate territory and it, it was a mess it did not work at all it was also very complicated we wa we really wanted to have this like heavy memory like element to it to kind of like add difficulty to the players and you know like enable players to mess with each other a lot through that and it kind of was just it was really just way too much <laughs> it has evolved multiple times completely like that, that first iteration was looking back awful. Later ones were slightly better and in a better direction, but still just terrible. It took us a good two months of of heavy playtesting before we got to where we're at now. During that evolution, when you were changing stuff, cutting stuff, did anything end up on the cutting room floor that you kind of miss? Yeah, the idea of that hidden information that. Emma was talking about like that memory and altering that. I could never quite get it to work. There's cards in the game that... So I don't think I, I talked about like how the game's laid out. It's a 4x4 four four stack of cards that are all face down, and you're, you're digging them up. And so you're not really sure what you're digging when you go out there. But there's workers you can play that let you flip stuff face up or peek at things so that you see it and no one else does. Um, so there is this element of remembering where things were if you want to hide that information from everyone else. 
And I really liked the idea of being able to swap cards secretly, like take two cards and like move them like under the table and put them back so you're not sure where things went. But I could never quite get it to work. It just ended up slowing down the game too much. And if you had that ability and there was nothing to really hide or move, it, it felt like just a, a very wasted turn. So and speaking about ease of play, ease, ease of picking it up, how did that influence Ancient Sands, especially as you were designing and evolving the game? Um, it got rid of a lot of things, like the the one I just talked about with the memory aspect, because that just it, it confused a lot of players up front, like, why do I even want to do this? What do I have to keep track of? It, it slowed things down. Um, it also kept the, the core loop very, very simple. I mean, your, your turn is you draw a card, you play a card. And then you take a treasure if you have met the requirements for it. We thought about adding on leaders or other expansion-type things to make it more interesting. But all they ever did was raise the complexity without really changing that much in the game. The main thing that, that Focus has done is lasered in what we are working on, what our core loop is. So it is very simple, but still very enjoyable. And then we kind of, it was really important to us to have it be simple because we wanted to have non-gaming people be able to kind of like introduce them to what tabletop games are like now and kind of like have it be something that can ease them in and is less intimidating than a game like Twilight Imperium. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just because, as Dan mentioned, I mean, we do have more gaming friends now that enjoy playing board games, so we still do have a good amount of friends that don't play it at all. And so we wanted to have something that can bring those types of people in without being completely overwhelming. That was a lot of motivation as well. Nothing scares away a potential gamer faster than a, a 20-page rule book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or several. Yeah, exactly. Now, I understand from watching the video on your page that there's different treasures and they have maybe different effects or there's different workers and they can do different things. Talk about a few of those elements and maybe some of your favorites. The treasures are roughly in different groups. So you have like your knowledge treasures that you recover that generally reveal information about the desert. So like if you find a text fragment at the top of the desert, you'll flip something else at the top of the desert face up. So everyone gets that knowledge. Or there are ones that let you peek at things for free. There's wealth treasures that if you send enough workers to recover them, you get a bonus for. Like uh, if you might get another turn, you might be able to steal someone's worker. You might get even more ridiculous things like everything in a stack that happened in a game we were doing yesterday. It had someone win instantly. It was pretty great. And then the, the workers themselves are all pretty unique. There's a couple that are focused on giving you information, but the rest are all all fairly unique. And there's a a small handful of actual unique workers. There's five that there's only one of in the the worker deck. And they are very fun when you draw them, typically for the entire table. And then there's also a storm that's kind of brewing the whole time, and it has effects on the play. Can you give us an idea of what that might look like? Yes, there's an event deck that we recommend you don't play on your first game because there's a lot of things to learn on your first game. Even though the rules are simple, understanding what possibilities are out there is pretty important. But once you add it in, it it makes the game pretty awesome. Uh, Every turn, you have some sort of other event come out. And some of these are good, like maybe everyone's had a good good night's sleep and they're feeling a little better so they'll work a little harder or maybe instead of heat wave or horrible lightning storm it's just a little hot today so everyone's able to do a little more but for the most part they're terrifying things that everyone at the table has to deal with so you'll have heat waves you'll have null storms which is like a life-draining fog you'll have just days where everyone decides that they don't want to work because 
it's hot out. And then there's always the threat of the uh, desert finally deciding that I'm done with you. You need to leave. And there's this approaching disaster on the horizon. That takes the form of two cards. The first one you draw is a warning. The second one you draw ends the game immediately. And that's a lot of fun when you draw the first one because it completely changes the game where instead of everyone shooting for 10 points, you suddenly have to weigh this risk of, am I still shooting for 10 points? Or do I just want to grab as much as possible and ignore my long-term plans because the game might end next turn? Yeah, that's fun. Talk to you about player interaction. You mentioned that in the past, how important that is to you. How have you baked that into Ancient Sands? The initial stuff we had had a lot more aggressive player action, but that turned out to not be very fun for whoever's on the receiving end. It allowed people to gang up really easily, and that just led to very bad vibes at the table, depending on who was playing. So we've toned down that a lot, where the attack things are all very light attack things that will, will hinder your progress, but never like really hurt you too badly. It's more beneficial things that you play. The more powerful beneficial things are beneficial for everyone. Arguably, the most powerful worker in the entire game causes everyone to dig anything, anywhere for free. But whoever plays it decides the order that that dig happens in. So you can use it to really block off a player from getting something that they were after, but they still get something for free. Additionally, a lot of the treasures cause huge effects for the entire table. The, a lot of the the fun comes from watching your friends trigger off these ridiculous combos where drawing one treasure causes you to do this other effect that gets you a second treasure, and now you have this crazy ability that everyone has to play with their hands up. As you were playtesting this, what kind of feedback did you get? Did you ever get some feedback that was just ridiculous and you're like, yeah, thanks for that? <laughs> um, thankfully not. We've had really good playtesters for the most part. They're all either uh, heavy gamers or tied to gaming in some way so that they the, the feedback they've given has been pretty much on point. And the, the good thing about them is the ones that I, I have right now, I know very well. They are 100% okay with telling me that something is absolutely horrible and should not be in the game. And they do not pull any punches, which is great because I do need to be told that. Like early on, we had a set of treasures that were just sand. They were worth nothing. And that was more trying to get people to spend their turns looking and find stuff. When you dug up sand, it was the most depressing thing ever because you wasted like three turns to dig up sand. That's all gone thanks to their not-so-gentle feedback. And they're also very thoughtful in regards to giving the feedback. They're not just like, oh, yeah, this was fun. Good job. They actually, like, after playing it, they actually thought about what they did like, what they didn't like, why they thought it didn't work. Like, they wouldn't just be like, yeah, this card was lame. Like, they would be like, you know, this this card wasn't the best because I spent three turns and then I got sand. And it's like, why do I even want to bother? As you're receiving this feedback, working with your playtesters, describe for me the moment when you're like, hey, this is ready. Let's launch our Kickstarter. We were probably ready a ways before I said we were ready. Like, I had a good feeling after a while. Honestly, at no point am I going to say, this is perfect. I am done. Because no creator will ever say that about anything they've made. It's just, at one point, you just got to know when it feels done, when the feedback stops being, well, this one thing I didn't really like and starts being overall, yes, this is very positive. There isn't really a threshold that I set. It was just a gut feeling of, okay, I know I could tweak with this for another five years if I wanted to, but the feedback is very positive. It's fun to play. And that's mainly the big thing when I'm able to have fun consistently playing it because I'm the one staring at it all the time. So that that can be a little difficult sometimes. When I have that gut feeling, it, it feels good. And then it's just, I need to walk away and it's done. I need to stop fiddling with numbers. We are finished. 
So now you've been live for a few days now on Kickstarter. Overall, how's that going? The initial feedback has been really, really good. We've had a few reviews. We're hoping to get more, but they've all been been very nice. The feedback from friends and family has been great. We've been getting in plenty of people that we have no idea who they are backing us, which is critical and very nice to have up front. So I think if we can keep up this momentum, we're definitely on track to to fund very quickly. So it, it's been good. It's a little nerve wracking because there's always like the what if the momentum falls off? What if things you know slow down? What do we do? But so far we're we're pretty healthy. So it's it's very exciting. Now you mentioned on your Kickstarter page that you've lined up the printer you want to go with. Can you talk about the process of identifying that printer and how that's gone? We did a bunch of research on different printers in in different places, like local here in the U.S. and foreign printers and contacted many of them and got quotes and for the most part they were all relatively similar on their price points yeah and one of the printers happened to be right down the street from us and they had very good reviews i talked to um, a couple of designers that had done smaller prints with them they're like yeah it it was great they were very helpful the the stuff turned out nicely so we contacted them got a, a good estimate from them and printed a few review copies using exactly what we're going to print so we know that what they're making is going to be good because we have it and it, it's absolutely fantastic and they, they've been wonderful and despite being in the u.s they're slightly more expensive than an overseas one uh shipping is free because we can just drive down and pick it up <laughs> right yeah and there's no language barrier because they speak english <laughs> they're right there um if something goes wrong i can drive over and see what's actually wrong yeah and it was very appealing like dan said because we can just drive down and get it so when we first printed our prototype we were like you know who knows what this is actually going to look like so when you do the proof you know we don't have to wait two months or so you know if it came from china or, or you know somewhere else overseas we can immediately see what our proof looks like and we can quickly go back and be like okay this color does not work at all or like you can't see this text and we can quickly adjust, resend it to them and get that turnaround time very quickly. All right. That sounds great. I'm a little jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing you mentioned on your Kickstarter page is your decision not to have any stretch goals. Talk to me about that decision. We were looking at other Kickstarter projects, ones I've backed and lots of other ones, and we've noticed there were two things that led to either delays or cancellations. And one of them was the printer. So that was one reason we were very happy to find one local. And the second one were physical stretch goals that add on things to the game. And they typically will bite off a little more than they can chew, and that leads to delays, or suddenly the project isn't profitable and they're losing money on every copy, and it just starts a death spiral that's very hard to recover from. So we finished the game completely. We have it done, ready to go, ready to print, and there's nothing to really add to it. We had an initial idea of doing a basic version and then like a deluxe version, but we decided that the deluxe version is the version we want everyone to play. So we just canned the basic version because the event, it was, it added the event deck and a, a couple of those unique worker cards and they just added way too much for me to not let someone play with these. So yeah, we are not going to have any sort of physical stretch goals. If we do hit our goal, we would like to have some stretch goals, but they're going to be digitally delivered things that don't require us to add on to the box and worry about changes in shipping and production costs. So it'll be things like high quality art prints that we deliver digitally. You can print them off if you want, or short stories like we might bring in uh, authors to write for us for like lore establishment for the world. Fun things like that, because overall we want this to succeed. And it's our first one. We have no experience doing this. We want to avoid these types of things that could potentially lead to failure. Yeah, that's really smart. Good thinking. I like that. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Because, yeah, I've seen that too, you know, where something falls apart because they've stretched a little too much. 
Yeah, I mean, it It does sound very appealing, you know, to be able to add a, an expansion or something or even to, I would love to offer to make, you know, personalized cards for people. But the other thing we have to keep in mind, too, is it's it's literally just Dan and I. Like, we do not have the manpower to just be like, oh, we've got 500 cards that we have to personally make for people, you know? I can't do that. So as, as fun as it would be, it's just not in our uh, scope of capability right now. You mentioned on your Kickstarter hundreds of other game ideas brewing in your head. Yeah, lots of them. Give us a sneak peek. What's next? Sure, I, I can give a couple of previews. Our next one that we're working on is a game about making beer. The The idea for that is you're all clans of dwarves going to Beer Fest, which is the annual gathering where clans come together, make their best beer, and judge them. Uh, when you get there, disaster has struck, and goblins have stolen all of the ingredients. You have to have part of your clan take up their axes and go get those ingredients back, and the other half of your clan is waiting for them and trying to brew things as fast as possible before the other players finish. That sounds fun. So a key audience of Your Tables on Fire are aspiring game designers, people that want to be in your shoes. Give us one piece of advice for them. The best advice I could give would be to sit down and do it. Don't put it off. Don't do anything stupid. (laughs) Like, don't commit to something that you don't have the time or resources to do. The hardest thing for me was actually committing to doing this. I mean, it's terrifying putting your stuff out there for everyone to look at, to try, to give you horrible feedback on and make you question what you're doing with your life. But you have to get through that in order to get to the good ideas. In tandem with that, do not love any of your ideas. There is no one thing you've thought of that is perfect. Everything will need to go through many iterations before it's ready. Many, many, many iterations. Yeah, that, that would be my advice. Commit yourself to it, put in the good effort, but make sure you're getting feedback from people. Make sure you're listening to that feedback because if someone tells you something isn't fun, it's not fun. They're not wrong. You are wrong. <laughs> if they're not enjoying themselves, they're not going to lie about it. Because <laughs> I've, I've seen many people that you give them constructive feedback or negative feedback that's possibly not too constructive and they just brush it off that, oh, I, you don't know what you're talking about and avoid that. No, you are having fun. <laughs> Exactly. It's like, you don't, you're just playing it wrong. You don't know what you're doing. Like, no, they're, you're teaching it wrong. Your game isn't fun. Listen to what they're saying. And to go along with that, negative feedback where, you know, something that doesn't work is still good because it's a learning experience. If, if something didn't work out, you can't just be like, oh, I should just quit. <laughs> like, you know, you, gotta have, you have to look at it objectively and be like, well, so-and-so didn't like this. Why? You know, how can I make this better? What can I change? And of course, you know, after doing that over and over, you're going to come out with a good product, you know, if you apply all those changes and think about it that way. So I think that's really important too, not to get too down. Like if something doesn't work out the way that you wanted it to, to think of it instead of just as something bad and as something that didn't work, to think of it as something that you can learn from and apply to make your next step better. My favorite feedback to get is, it's fun, but... Because whatever's that, like, generally it's good, great, but whatever's after that but is what I want to hear. You know, what isn't fun, what doesn't work, what can I grow on? If I have you play test my game, you're like, yeah, I like it, it's good. That tells me nothing. That's useless. Great advice. Okay, it's time to play the game design challenge. Oh, gosh. We're going to pick a random game theme. I'll hand it off to you guys, and we'll see you come back with. Sounds good? Okay. Yeah, that yeah sounds, fun. sounds fun. Okay, awesome. So let me uh, let me just draw out a theme here. 
Hopefully it's not desert archaeology. Oh, well, that would be an easy one. <laughs> you guys would win. Okay, no, here we go. It is yacht racing. Okay, yacht racing. Uh, so we need some sort of movement, obviously. Um, something's got to... Dice rolling, I don't like racing games with dice, typically. Well, one of the first things we could do, um, there would be different types of boats, obviously. So you have, like, the the super fancy yacht, and then you have, like, the little... Uh, the little dinghy. <laughs> what, if, what if we went like the galaxy trucker route? You're building your yacht. Ah, yeah. Like we have, let's say there, you have like some sort of offer of parts and um, we can't do galaxy trucker because galaxy trucker exists. So you have an offering of, of parts to put on your boat and everyone starts with X amount of currency and you're bidding because bidding is lots of fun social interaction. You're bidding on parts to put on your boat and then the race will be a randomized deck of cards. We'll steal that from galaxy trucker because that's a really good idea um, that you, you flip through of, of obstacles or things that you find that the different parts could either increase where you're at in the race or bring you further back or potentially some other benefit like you found a treasure island here's some money for the next round things like that of course there would have to be some sort of obstacles that appear in your way that kind of like oh yeah like rocks like if you have down. a better hall or something you might avoid mm-hmm. or little jimmy fell off the boat <laughs> <laughs> little jimmy fell off the boat that would be a good one gotta go rescue little jimmy or, or do you get put bonus points for losing little Jimmy? Like, he was annoying Oh, anyhow. that could be. Could get rid of him. Maybe everyone has a, a secret character that has this power, and one of them could be little Jimmy's evil stepfather who gets his inheritance if little Jimmy isn't rescued. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I would do. Something along those lines. You're bidding for parts to build your boat, and then going off on your race. Because I, I don't like roll to move. That's... That's too simple. Maybe, like, since we have, even though you're um, building upon your boat, you could roll at the beginning to determine a turn order. Like, and then those people, like, say you roll a one, you get to go first. You get to pick out of the five base boats. You know, like, there's, like, a the skeleton. So, like, the, the, um, the chassis. Or yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, each person gets to choose of the pool of, of like, skeletons of boats, which one they want to use, and then they have to build upon that. Mm. You'd also want to make it so um, whoever picks first gets the least amount of money. For yeah, the yeah. Phase. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoever picks last, and and if you if you won your role, you'd get to decide whether you want to pick first or last or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely like that. Um, so yeah, th- there's our pitch. Something along those lines. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we should call it yachting trucker. Yes, yes. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yachting trucker. Galaxy yachts. Yeah, there you oh, go. Galaxy yachts. <laughs> Surf through the stars. Right. Throw yeah. a space theme in there. I like that. Yeah. Everything's better with space. Of course. It's hard <laughs> to argue that. All right. Dan, Emma, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. Yeah, you yeah, as well. Yeah, this was a lot, a lot of, of fun. fun. Thank you so much. All the best luck for you and your Kickstarter campaign. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, well, there you have it. Lunar Powered Games. Hopefully you had as much fun with that interview as I did. You've been listening to Your Tables on Fire. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at TableFire. And also visit our website for show notes and other fun details. That's YourTablesOnFire.com. See you next week. 